and welcome to episode 20 of the Help Side Basketball Coaching and Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, John Jansen, and we are entrenched in the coronavirus lockdown here in California, and I figured it was time to get a podcast out so people have something to listen to when they're um, bored at home. I just want to start by apologizing for the delay since the last podcast. Our conference season was quite intense, and there wasn't a lot of time. I was watching hours and hours and hours of game film every day. Our conference schedule was Thursday, Saturday. There was a lot of travel, and there just wasn't time. And I, and I wanted to get one out, but I just didn't. I didn't think it would be right to stop working to do something which is like kind of a fun side project. So it didn't happen, season ended, and we've started recruiting already for next year, and we really we really struggled in our conference. Uh, it, was, it was really tough. We ended up in last place. But, you know, we made a lot of steps forward. We only had one senior, so we should be a lot better next year. And on top of that, we, the players we have just aren't good enough, and so it's my job now to turn this place. And, and that's why I was brought in, because this was a project school. We doubled the wins from last year, which is something, and we're building. So, you know, there was a lot of positives to be taken from our season, and I think that the guys we're looking at right now are far and away better than the guys we have, so we can only get better moving forward. But I want to talk a lot about that. Uh, I want to talk about a little about the NBA and NCAA suspensions of their seasons and, and what that means for everybody. And look, it's not over yet. If this all blows over in the next week or two or month, maybe they'll you know, finish off the NBA season and, and do the playoffs or just kind of end the NBA season where they are and start the playoffs. I just think it would be really unfortunate if seasons like this were suspended. And, you know, especially NBA, NHL, and college basketball where they played, you know, three quarters of the season already. And we've been building towards these playoffs and now they're probably not going to happen. I read today actually that the English Premier League, which I follow very closely, is going to resume their season whenever the coronavirus stuff is over. They're not going to just name a champion and move on to next year. They are going to finish the season even if that goes into the next season. And granted, they were down to about seven or eight games, but I really, really love this idea because no one wants to just be given a championship that they didn't win on the field. Nobody wants to just stop and be done and start over next year, you know? And the Premier League finishing out the season is so great because, well, first of all, you have battles for relegation at the bottom where if you don't know how a lot of European leagues in all sports works, um, but the example is the Premier League, the bottom three teams from the Premier League get dropped down to the second level and the top three teams, or actually it's like the top team and then a playoff, uh, or the top two teams and then a playoff, uh, move up from the second division to the to the Premier League. It's not called the second division, but I'm talking about from the second level. 
And it's a massive deal. It has to do with money. I mean, you get so much money from the TV rights and everything like that. It's just a huge deal. And these teams are counting on these last seven or eight games to either try to not get relegated or to, if you're in the second level, to try to get up into a promotion zone. You know, the top teams are trying to get in the Champions League top four, which means more millions of dollars, and all these different things which haven't been decided yet. And they're going to make sure that those things get finished out all the way so that no one, so that everyone got their fair shot at it. And I love that. And when we look at something like college basketball, for instance, it is so hard to put together a championship level team at whatever level you're at. And I'm just going to talk about NCAA Division One because that's March Madness. And look at a team like Kansas, who I think everyone can agree is, if not the favorite, one of the favorites. And it's just so hard to put a championship roster together. And now they're not going to get that opportunity. And those players that they have are going to go to the NBA next year. They're not going to wait around for another year just to see if they can win the ring that they didn't get to win because the season got stopped. And they're going to be gone. And and you look at smaller schools like San Diego State and Dayton, who people think are legitimate contenders. And, you know, when was the last time a Dayton team was a legitimate contender for the NCAA title? I have no idea. Maybe never. Maybe a long time ago before I knew. Same with San Diego State. Yeah, they've made the tournament a few times, but have they ever been a legit contender to win the whole thing? Probably not. They've been a nice story. And when you have these teams that have these, you know, somehow get this great recruit or just have a just a really well-built team, and this was their their chance, and now they don't get that chance. And even for the coaches who may never get that chance again, and definitely for the players, you know, we talk about it. I remember when I was coaching in Michigan uh, at a small school out there, you know, the the person said, and we weren't even a championship team, but the, the person said, take a snapshot of this group right here because this group will never be the same. You know, seniors will leave, new players will come in. This exact group will never happen ever again. And that's the truth. And so when you have these special teams that have worked so hard and maybe have been together for four years and so on, and now they don't even get that opportunity to see how far they could have gone. It's really sad for them. And then moving it up to the NBA, you know, it's the same thing. It's so hard to win a championship. Look, in the NBA, it's 30 teams. In NCAA basketball, it's 300 teams. So it's much harder, even though, you know, there's some teams that don't have, that their league is the best thing, is their, is their championship or whatever. But when you look at the NBA, even one out of 30 is such a hard thing to do and putting together that roster. And you look at a team like the Clippers who made so many moves and have added so much depth to their roster with guys that are older and possibly kind of mortgage their future a little bit to try to get in a position to win a championship. And now they may not get that opportunity. You look at the Lakers with LeBron and everyone just looks at LeBron and just assumes he's going to be amazing forever because he's been amazing forever and I mean, I see it. The athleticism, the explosiveness isn't quite as much as it used to be. You know, when he played against Giannis a couple weeks ago on that Friday night and everybody was watching, he was using up and under moves on Giannis. He was trying to trick Giannis into, into when they got matched up one-on-one. He couldn't just overpower him like he can to most of the league. I get it. But when you're talking about the elite of the elite, LeBron, you can see, looks a little smaller than the rest of those guys. And not quite as athletic. And you see him go for these crazy dunks, and that's great, but that's one on zero. And when you're playing against another elite athlete, 
an elite player, you can see that LeBron isn't quite what he used to be. And he can still take advantage of 95% of the NBA, but there's some guys that he can't. And it's only going to get worse and worse. And when he, he put together, and the Lakers put together around him, a legitimate contender, and now for the most, you know, most likely, we're not going to get to find out. And when you want to go down the all-timer roads, and now LeBron is sitting here with his rings, three, and now he doesn't get a chance for that fourth. And who knows what will happen next year? Who knows on, who's on one-year contracts? Who knows who's going to be good next year? Maybe maybe the Warriors get you know the first pick in the draft and Steph comes back and, and Clay comes back, and all of a sudden they're the best team in the West. And, and LeBron missed that opportunity because now he's on his downward curve, even though he doesn't seem to be. Or a couple guys... You know, or 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 heaven heaven forbid, LeBron or Anthony Davis gets hurt, and now they're just a uh, another team in the playoffs next year. You know, there's there's so many things, and it's so hard to win a championship that when you have an opportunity, and especially for an older player like LeBron, it really, especially for an all timer like LeBron, where how many rings matters to so many people, and him not having that ability to go after that next one is like devastating, you know, especially for me, a huge LeBron guy. And it just, it, it stinks. And I know it's small in, in the realm of what's going on right now, but I, I believe, and I hope that this thing, this coronavirus is going to be gone in six months and forgotten in a few years. And people aren't going to give LeBron a free pass for this year. If, if he doesn't get that opportunity to win the ring. And when we look down at the greatest players of all time, most of you are going to look at rings, and I, I've told you a million times, I think rings are far down the list, but, you know, there's people who rings is the most important. Or, or if they think that LeBron might be better, then they just go back to the rings. It's like almost like an out. It's like their excuse. Well, he doesn't have the rings. And you can't argue with it. And so it's frustrating to me that he, has, he doesn't get this opportunity this year when, they, when, they, when I believe they're the best team. And, and I know the Clippers are really good and have added all this depth, but... I, I just believe in LeBron and I believe in that team that he has around him and the defense that they played. And I think they had a great chance to win it this year. And I had some notes on some, some things I wanted to talk about. And now it seems so silly because the season's not going to happen. But I'm going to touch on them anyway, just because uh, I think they're worth noting. Steph came back and man, you know, the guy can shoot the ball Gosh darn, does he dance after every single three. I mean, every single one. There's some kind of dance, some kind of move. I mean, it's it's really frustrating to me because it's like he's playing, he's only entertaining. He's not playing basketball anymore. He's literally out there. I mean, their team is so terrible. They're losing these games when he's back. And yet he's still out there dancing. I get it when you're dancing when you're up by 20 and you're the best team in the league. And I get also that his teammates aren't there, but nobody else gets to use that excuse. You know, when LeBron lost to the Warriors when he had no love and no Kyrie, no one ever said, well, he was missing those guys. Well, every single person that talks about the Warriors this year talks about the injuries. Like like Kyrie, or excuse me, not Kyrie, um, Steph Curry and, and Steve Kerr are just getting this monster free pass because two guys are injured. And because one guy left in free agency. People leave in free agency every year. Those coaches don't get free passes. But yet somehow the Warriors all get a free pass this year. I don't understand it. And it's ridiculous that some people, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you have a guy like LeBron who's so good that he's 
you know, that a lot of people villainize him. He's, he's so good that he's never going to get a free pass. And even when he had that terrible roster in 2007, even when he had his two stars both hurt, when they played the Warriors, arguably one of the best teams of all time, he still gets no free passes. But that's just the way it goes. Anyway, back to Steph. I just wish that occasionally he would hit a three and turn around and start playing defense because he's a terrible defender already, and he stands around dancing while the other team's you know, going down the other way. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's embarrassing, and it's just not the way basketball was made to be played. And I get it's entertainment, and I get that he wants to get endorsements and commercials and all this other stuff, but, man, when you're out there and your team's losing, you could probably just turn around and play some defense. I don't know. Staying with the Warriors, I think that this is... I don't know, it, it kind of makes me feel validated for what I believed about Draymond Green, and it's, of course, my opinion, but I just thought he was an average player playing with some of the all-time greats. And I always said if you put him on a terrible team like Orlando, he would average eight points, seven rebounds, and four or five assists, you know? I mean, the guy was just destroying it because, number one, every time he passed the ball to someone, he's passing it to one of the greatest shooters of all time, one of the greatest scorers of all time. And these guys are making every shot. Number two, nobody guarded him. I mean, they literally would stand underneath the basket and he'd have the ball at the three-point line. And NBA players can make a three-pointer when they're standing there alone. NBA players can dribble to the hoop and score when no one's guarding them. And every team decided to pick their poison because he was their worst player, they wouldn't guard him. And now, because their whole team is not very good, aka being on another terrible team like whoever, now his numbers are so average, borderline terrible, and that's what life would be like if he wasn't sitting there with Steph and Clay, and and uh, and you know like Durant the last couple of years. And people have said, well, you know, when he's going to get this new contract, he will never take a contract anywhere else because he will immediately get exposed for how average he is. And people were talking about him as a Hall of Famer when he was with them. They were like, oh, they have four Hall of Famers on the floor. No, they don't. They have three Hall of Famers and a really, really good role player who plays really hard on defense and is really unselfish because he's not even an all-star this year. Now, how many Hall of Famers miss are not all-stars in a non-injury year during their prime? Probably zero. And I don't know the exact numbers on that, but if you're a Hall of Famer and you're at his age, you're at your prime, you're killing people, you're a starter in the all-star game, not a guy who misses it. And why does he miss it? Because he's averaging eight, five, and five on a terrible team because he can't carry a team by himself because he's not that good. And you say, well, that's not his role. Well, how many role player Hall of Famers are there? One, Dennis Rodman. And I'll take Dennis Rodman over him all day. So, and I don't think Dennis Rodman ever averaged eight and five either, you know, when, when his team was bad. And I don't know how many bad teams Dennis Rodman was on, but... Even when he was an old man, I don't think he was averaging eight and five or eight and six, whatever it is that, that Draymond's averaging. So I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I didn't even think he was an all-star. It was funny because a few years ago when he was, when he was an all-star and they did the four, you know, I think he was an all-star a couple times. And you see these guys flying through the air in the all-star games because no one plays defense and just doing ridiculous dunks and just, just, I mean, the athleticism is ridiculous. And then you saw Draymond Green dribbling to the rim and laying the ball up or like barely dunking it. And you just say he's not on the level with these other guys. He can't shoot. He's not near as athletic. And he defends pretty good. But, you know, I mean, he's 6'5", 6'6", you know, or 6'7", whatever he is. So I just think the whole Draymond Green hype train 
should now be over when you look at him and see how bad he is now when he has regular talent or bad talent around him. And, you know, next year when they get good again, if they get good again, he's going to be dancing around telling everybody how good he is again. But he's not. And, you know, he got into that beef with Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley saw it. Charles Barkley saw through him, you know, being right in the coattails of all these great players. It's just like all these guys that LeBron made into stars. You know, the minute they leave LeBron's side, they're terrible again. Mario Chalmers, the minute he was gone, terrible. De- uh, Del Vadova, he killed it with LeBron. Invisible now. All of these guys are elevated because of their teammates. And when they go somewhere else and take these big contracts, these teams are, are just not getting what they're paying for because they were so, because these guys were so much better because of guys like LeBron, Steph, Clay, Durant, all these guys who take up so much attention from the defense that allowed them to do things that they wouldn't regularly be allowed, be allowed to do. So that's what I think about, about him. So um, the next thing I want to talk about real quick was Dion Waiters signing, signing with the Lakers. I hate this move. I really, really, really hate it. I really respect Eric Spolstra, and Eric Spolstra suspended him, I think, four times this season before cutting him. And he wasn't playing anyway when he wasn't suspended. And he is a bona fide ball hog. And he has never been a team player. He's never really, I don't think, been on any winning teams unless he was sitting on the bench with LeBron's team or something like that. But he's never been a winner. And... I really think this has this would have had, if the season had continued, the potential to mess up the continuity of the Lakers team for a couple reasons. First of all, the Lakers were one of the best defense best defensive teams in the league. I think them and the Bucks were the two best defensive teams in the league. Deion Waiters is not a good defender. He's not known for being good def- a good defender. And I think right there that could have screwed things up a little bit. Number two... I thought the Lakers are the most unselfish team in the NBA, period. They have mostly veterans, not all, but almost all veterans, guys who have already made their money, guys who don't need to do their own thing. And therefore, they are so unselfish because their only goal is to win the game. Their goal is not personal numbers. Their goal is not statistics. Their goal is to win every single game and win a championship. And they were doing that because of how unselfish they were. And it started with LeBron. And the only guy that I think has a little bit of an agenda is Kuzma because he's kind of, you know, he's a good player who's, who is a young player who is still trying to establish himself and is kind of lost a lot of his minutes with this new roster that they have. And, you know, there's been interviews where they've won games where he's been frustrated because he doesn't know what his role is. He, he doesn't know his, when his minutes are going to be up. He's sometimes plays at the end of games. Sometimes it's Caruso. Sometimes it's neither of them. And so for him, it's been tough. And I know that Dion Waiters would have come in and taken some of those minutes or possibly taken some of Caruso's minutes, who I think is a really unselfish and good role player for that team. And I think it really could have screwed up the unselfishness of that team because selfishness is contagious, and if Waiters comes in and starts jacking up shots, and let's say he makes them, and now he's getting more minutes, now Kuzma's looking around going, okay, well, I guess the only way for me to get my minutes back is to jack up shots, because here's this guy, and he's making shots, and now he's playing more than I am. So it really could have screwed up, I think, everything with the Lakers, and it terrified me when he got signed, and and my hope was that he wouldn't be good enough to get into the rotation, that he was kind of a depth signing, you know, in case someone got hurt. 
and that he really wouldn't be a rotation player. But again, now we'll probably never know. So those are the kind of the things that have been happening, you know, before the season ended that were kind of on my mind. And so I wanted to get them out there. Going to analytics section, I kind of wanted to talk about game film. And as my season progressed, I became borderline obsessed with game film. And I think that when you're in a conference, that's kind of what happens. But in most conferences, you have assistant coaches that you kind of give some game films to or, or scouting, you know, scouting reports to. You know, their job to, to watch all the games and, and stuff like that and kind of break it up. Well, I only have part-time assistants and they aren't going to do that because they have regular jobs. And so I was, you know, tasked with doing that myself. And I basically was watching, I don't know, five, six games. And then sometimes the first time we played that conference team or whatever in preparation. And so you're sitting there Monday, Tuesday, you're watching probably 12 hours of game film while also preparing for practice and practicing and and you know what whatever else comes comes along and then Wednesday and Thursday even though we would play on Thursday I would do the same amount of stuff for our Saturday game so that you know for our one practice on Friday I could have a scouting report you know scouting report ready and film ready and clips ready for those guys um, for that Saturday game so it's a ton of work but I think it has a ton of value and I know a lot of you guys are probably high school coaches or assistant coaches. And if you're an assistant coach, you want to start moving your way up the ladder, volunteer to start watching game film, learn how to break down game film. And I know in one of our episodes, we talked about being good at at breaking down game film and, and what things to look for. But it's such a big advantage when you can take away plays from the other team. And by watching all their film and you think, okay, well, maybe they're hiding stuff. You know what, if they haven't used something in five games or six games, the odds of them using it against you are pretty low. And I've actually thought about this from the other side too. You know, talking to many coaches, I'd love to know. Like if I could interview coaches, I'd say, okay, how many games do you watch in preparation for a game? And if they say three or four or five, then what you do is you write down all the plays you ran in your last five games and then look what else you have in your playbook and run the other stuff because if you know they're going to only look back five games, well, if you look, if you go back six, seven, or eight games, you have a, a great opportunity to run plays that they're not ready for. But I'm guessing most teams don't do that because the stuff they run usually works, and hopefully it's stuff you can run even if they know it's coming. But as far as you know, sets that teams are running, uh, I really tried to take that stuff away, find out teams' tendencies, and I think this is a huge deal. And I know in high school. It's really hard to do because there's no usually no film exchange like we have. And I know a lot of coaches will go to tournaments and record games from their opponents. You know, they'll just sit at a tournament where there's like eight teams and maybe three of their conference teams are in the tournament and just record all day and kind of come back to those later in the year. I think that's good, but I think it's only a start. You know, if you can hire someone or pay a kid to go sit at your conference opponent's games and record them. Because most likely you're playing at the same time. So you wouldn't be able to be there and your important, you know, assistant coaches would would be with you. But if you could have like a freshman coach go record and pay him, you know, pay him some money 
or hire a service. You know, I know that there's, I know in the past there have been some services that will record games for you. Just because as your season evolves, you're always changing your offenses, you're changing your plays, you're adding new stuff. You know, your players are evolving even if you don't talk about it. Your players are doing new things, seeing what's working within the offense, and and you're just naturally going to be a little different, you know, when you don't play someone for three weeks or a month or whatever whatever it is between the last time you saw them. So it's such a big advantage to be able to see these teams play, see what they're running, see their tendencies, see who's, you know, getting the ball and stuff like that. And And then on top of it, I know personally when I was a high school coach, I could run the exact same plays against every single team and I knew I was going to get a great shot every single time because there was no film. And I would probably have six to seven set plays that I know would get us a wide open three or a layup basically every single game. And that could be anywhere from four to 15 to 20 points. And when you're a high school coach, and I've talked about this before, that is such a huge percentage of your overall score. If you can get your team six to eight points, eight to 10 points in a game that's only going to be in the 40s or 50s or 60s, you're talking about a quarter, a fifth, you know, a sixth. That's a huge percentage of your total points that you're getting for free just because you're running a play that the other team doesn't know is coming and, and is going to work. And so I think, you know, from from the perspective of scouting other uh, your your opponents and getting game film on your opponents, I just think it's a huge deal. And like I said, I know it's hard in, in the high school levels, and I'm sure most people listening are, are high school or, or, you know, at some level of high school coaches, but it's a big deal. And if and like I said, you know, if you're a freshman coach and you play on a different day than the varsity coach, volunteer to go to the games. Make yourself more valuable to the, to their, to the varsity coach. And then because you're seeing the, the team live while recording, the coach is probably going to come to you and say, hey, what'd you see? You know, you saw him in person. What'd you think? And now you're almost, you know, making your, you're, you are, you're making yourself more valuable to that, to that head coach. And so continuing with once you have the film, just getting to see what guys do is just so huge. How guys are on the pick and roll. You know, if a guy's only shooting threes, you know, if you have to guard a guy three feet behind the three point line, you know, I mean, that's something you can't see from a box score. If they have a kid who can shoot the ball from unlimited range, well, then you have to guard that guy from unlimited range. And if you haven't seen it on film, then... You know, your players, you, if you haven't specifically told your players, you got to guard him no matter if he's five feet behind the line. Well, that guy might hit a couple threes before you're in this theory. High school player has realized that he needs to adjust himself. And that's a big deal. Uh, there's just so many things you can see from film in addition to getting a chance to write down their plays and getting the chance to take away some of the stuff they want to run. And basically... As a coach, what do you want? You want to stop the other team's offense and make them just try to go one-on-one. Because when you, a team goes one-on-one, it's a low percentage play, and you have lots of help, and that's just what you want. And if you, can t- if you have the ability to take away the other team's offense, to take away the other team's pick and roll, you can literally make that team play one-on-one basketball. And, and there's very few players slash teams who are successful just playing one-on-one basketball, especially if you have an organized defense and you you know you have a, a, you do a good job of swarming to the ball and rotating and all that other stuff. So, you know, watching this game film is a huge deal, and I think it should be a priority for your team to try to get access to as much game film as possible. And 
you know, the next great business idea, if it's not there already, you know, have a network like Synergy where maybe you don't break down the film, but you have a database where high school coaches are required to upload their film and get that film, you know, so that everyone can see it. And it will make the coaching better because again, you know, guys like me wouldn't be able to just use their same trick plays every single game. And it will, you know, it'll just make everybody better. So that's the, that's the next big idea for 2021. So moving on to the strategy session, I wanted to talk about engaging your high post or your screener. And my team evolved to this as the season progressed. Teams were, were face guarding our best shooter. Our best shooter was shooting about 53% from three. He was about to break the conference record and then he, you know, he choked the last game and, and his percentage dropped, but, and he were open and he was open too. Uh, anyway, so what they would do is face guard him and he's not very good off the dribble and he's not very good, you know, and teams were just trailing him coming off screens and he was really having trouble getting the ball. And so I talk about evolution all the time. So I said, okay, if they're going to trail all the screens, how can I get him open? And he's a, a long three man. He's probably six six, and he has. And he's been working on his post game. I've had him working down when we do, when we split off for post because he first of all he really was excited to do it, and because he's it's it's a it's a nice part of a game when you have all these little defenders that are just face guarding you. So what we did is we started running him off screens and having him curl, and this was great because he would curl. And he would get to the rim and the guys would be trailing and, and we would have the ball pass from like a close position like the high post and he was getting layups. So now the defense evolved. And this is the, this is the leveling that I talk about. Okay, so now what does the defense do? Well, the guy who's hitting the screen would now help off as he curled and then get back to his own guy. And that's a problem because we had one excellent pick and pop big but our other three, one was an okay shooter, and the other two couldn't shoot at all. And so what they would do is they would just drop that guy off, and then they would guard our shooter on the curl, and that they would take that away. So now it's my turn to level that and say, okay, well, how can I get that defender to stay on him? And here's what I came up with. What I would do is I would put that big man on the elbow. So you would kind of, we would kind of start in a one, four high. Okay. So you have to imagine this. We would start in a one, four high and I would have those guys call for the ball. So their defender would engage them because you're, even if the guy's not a shooter, you're not going to let the guy catch the ball at the high post for the most part. And in our league, they didn't. So this guy would call for the ball and his defender would be up on his back. And then I told my shooter that he would just run off of that guy. So there was no screen set. Because this minute you turn and set a screen, the defender goes, oh man, he's not really getting the ball. He's hitting a screen and he jumps off and helps on that curl. But by calling for the ball and holding your, I would literally make them hold their arm up like they wanted the ball. And then I would have the guy run off that, not, I don't even know if you call it a screen, but run off that man and his defender because they were still trailing it. And now you don't have that defender dropping back into help. And now this curl is wide open again. And also, after he would curl, a lot of times he would stay in post up. And that, that would also now become open because that defender wasn't there. You know, that defender was doing two things. He was stopping the curl and he was stopping a post up. But now, because he's engaged against our post player at the high post, 
we were able to run him off that and he was able to get open for curls and open for um, layups. And it actually basically provided, sorry, for curls and for post-ups. And it actually basically provided a double screen because the the defender was uh, up on the guy's back. So occasionally they would run underneath it and so he would just pop behind for a wide open three. And it was really effective for us. We would, you know, there were some teams who couldn't really guard it and we would just run it over and over and over. And he was such a good three-point shooter that it made it made him really hard to guard because you could never go under because we would I would take him shooting a wide open three because again, we talked about before. If you're a 50% three-point shooter, you're not a 50% three-point shooter. You're an 80% three-point shooter when you're open and you're a 20% three-point shooter when you're guarded or some combination of that. And this player legitimately was like that. I mean, he had one game where he was six for seven from three in the first half. And that, was not, that wasn't even an outlier. I mean, five for seven, you know, three for five, four for I mean, he was just knocked down. And it's because we got him open shots, but... Once they started taking that away, we really put their that defender in a really tough spot because it was his decision to trail, and I guarantee his coach said trail, but then he's getting curled to the rim for layups, and then not many players in our league had a 6'6", three-man that could guard him on the post, and so we would just feed him the ball on the post, and he would get fouled a lot, and he was able to score a lot too. So I really think using a shooter coming off curls is something that is great, but I also think that engaging a defender who's guarding someone who can't guard, make them engage where you want them to. And sometimes that's like a ball screen, right? So let's say I wanted to get my big man, my big man's defender away from the basket because he was just playing center field. Well, now I just rush him up to a ball screen and even though I don't use that ball screen and I don't really want the ball screen, now I've made that defender come out because if he doesn't, now my point guard is going to come off and shoot a wide open shot. So you have to be creative about how you use your guys that can't score in a specific area because the worst thing that can happen is you have a defender on the other team who clogs up the space you want and the space you need. You know, We all want to get layups, but if they're putting their a big guy standing underneath the basket – it's really going to it's really going to be hard for your small guard to get to get layups like that. So, figuring figuring out creative ways to engage defenders and to get your guy open guys open shots um, is really important for for getting these wide open looks that we need to, you know, be effective on the offensive end. So that's it for today. I hope everyone's safe. I hope everyone's not too bored. You know, we're all getting caught up on our TV and our movies and our shows and and you see online a lot of people are doing funny stuff because they're bored in their houses and they're not supposed to leave. But hopefully it won't last too long and we can all get back to work and we can we can start the 2020-21 uh, season on time. So thanks for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>